Hello, cricket fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Ashes Central podcast. I am Jeb Wern Jarvis, and back with me today are Pearson Lynch and Ethan Prabs as we wrap up the action from the second Ashes test at the Adelaide Oval with the Day 5 recap. Uh, to start off, I would have to say that was probably the most unexpected day of cricket that I've been to. Uh, I don't think any of us could have predicted that England would last 71 overs on the final day. Pearson, maybe not in your, in your dreams, you might not have even visualised that one. But uh, I said on the day four podcast that nothing short of a, an intercession from the patron saint of England, St. George, uh, would be required for him to bat out the day. I'm not sure if that happened, but uh, there was very nearly a Joss Butler intercession uh, as he scored 26 off 207 balls with a great display, a stoic defence, uh, stonewall batting. You can describe it any way you want um, as he led their, their defensive efforts. Uh, it was perhaps always going to be in vain. Uh, Australia was really probably always going to win, but uh, it might have caused the Australian fans just a little bit of anxiety there um, and maybe invoked some, some faint hallucinations of Headingley 2019 there. I know it did for me anyway. Uh, before we get to our panellists, just to run through the, the, the action, starting on four for 82, uh, Stokes and Pope both got out fairly early, but then uh, a 31 over Butler-Wokes partnership and a 15 over Butler-Robinson partnership denied Australia a win until the final two hours of the match. Uh, it really was an impressive effort from Butler. Uh, indeed, if it wasn't for him stepping on his stumps, uh, we may never have dismissed him. Pearson, uh, out of the ashes of disaster, which, which were this match, uh, a sign of hope perhaps? Uh, can this be the turning point for the English in this series? Yeah, I mean, we did still lose by 275 runs in that test. There's only so much plaudits you can give the players. I'll admit day five went a lot better than I think most of us were expecting. We didn't crumble and allow Australia to walk all over us, as I think at least I expected us to. I thought Butler was very impressive with his, I believe, 26 off 207 or thereabouts. And I think he's done more than enough to save his spot going forward. I thought it was actually a typically solid Butler knock. In a weird way, despite him having been brought into the team to score quick, flashy runs at seven after a platform has been built, every great innings he's played in the test side now has been one of these slow, arduous knocks where he has a concept of either time or run scoring. Almost all have featured on either day five or a fourth, day, or a fourth innings of the test. So I do think he's proven that he is capable in such match situations, which is a relief and means one less under-pressure player in our top seven. But I do think we get ahead of ourselves a bit if we say that batting to tee on the fifth day makes up for how terrible we were in the other eight days of the series so far. I still think we were pretty comprehensively outclassed. But hopefully it gives us some impetus to at least not let Australia take our wickets with as much ease as they have in the previous tests going forward. And perhaps even the, the fact that Butler and, and the bowlers were able to last so long, it kind of puts more of a spotlight on the top order who, who weren't able to stay there. But... Uh, yeah. Just quickly on Butler's dismissal, um, I saw that uh, people have only got out 11 times with hit wicket in the past 441 tests. So uh, he can see himself quite unlucky there, but uh, 
Yeah, it was definitely an interesting one. Ethan, uh, from the Australian perspective, we've seen similar struggles to finish matches uh, last summer with India and even going back to Heavenly. Uh, is this a problem or, or was today just more stubborn batting from the English? Uh, I think there's a bit of both there. I think the English batted very well. 113 overs is a great effort. Uh, I think we're seeing very benign pitches. Uh, they're not really deteriorating too much. There was turn there, um, but you don't get the cracks that you've seen in maybe a decade ago. Um, but nevertheless, we, we the bowlers probably should be doing a little bit better. I thought they did bowl pretty well. I thought Stark had a few spells where he looked dangerous. Richardson obviously was was very good. He took a fiver. Uh, Lyon got turned. He looked dangerous at all times, but he finished with two wickets in his 58 overs. Um, I did wonder if he could come around the wicket earlier. I think when he did, he dismissed Dolly Robinson. Um, so yeah, I think maybe he's lacking a little bit of the potency despite bowling very well um, and so maybe the option to come around uh, the wicket he might use utilize that a bit earlier next time um, Neza's sort of one one wicket in innings so lacked a little bit of venom despite bowling well uh, there again um, I, I do think yeah you just got to give your hats off to the English here they're a lot more patient um, but they were batting to bat long and not play shots um, and Australia uh, despite attacking I think they did their best um, but yeah, perhaps they did lack a little bit of potency. Um, we didn't get those uh, as many, I think, play and misses. And the English looked comfortable for, for a vast period of the day. So it's something to think about for sure. And to go through the bowling stats, Richardson finished with 5 for 42 in the second innings. Nathan Lyon, 2 for 55. Stark, 2 for 43. And Nisa, 1 for 28. Now, I don't want a, another argument here, but I'm going to ask just maybe one sentence for each uh, on finally on the Nisa, the Richardson battle in this test. Pearson, we'll start with you. I relent on this one. I would go Richardson as well. Hey. He can take his victory. It's good to say that Ted's adopted that strategy of one, one line answers <laughs> to prevent fights. Yeah, Richardson for me, uh, very impressive in that second inning. Okay, very good. I would agree. Um, now, just looking back in the test in general, Pearson, I know it's a hard question with many, many facets to it, but uh, if you had to diagnose one aspect, where did England lose this test? Uh, we saw Joe Root um, after the match uh, firmly putting the blame on the bowlers, uh, saying they bowled too short. Um, do you think that was a fair assessment? Yes, yeah, as, as you say, I think this is a very hard one to diagnose. I think the primary failing, as was the case in the first test, is still the batting. I think, although I'd be surprised if we made wholesale changes to the batting order, it wouldn't surprise me if Pope was the only player to make way, if anyone does at all. I don't think anyone except Root, Milan and Stokes can feel at all begrudged by being dropped after this test. I think, on the whole, we've gifted wickets away too easily particularly through playing the balls we didn't have to. I think you can look at Manus Labuschagne as good evidence of how to play on Australian wickets. Admittedly, he should have gone out four times in his 103, but his ability to leave and his obdurate temperament throughout that innings, I thought was very impressive. So I think that's sort of the lesson to take from it, at least more so than the bowling. I think Joe Root is bang on that the bowling was far too short for large parts of the day. I think he was honestly discussing Broad and Anderson's bowling with the new ball as much as he was with the glaring error of Stokes doing the enforcer's role when he could have snapped like a twig at any point in that spell considering he's coming back from injury. But I think 
across the board, there's things to work on. We could select better. I think this was a pitch that needed a spinner and a raw pacer, and we selected neither. We could have bowled fuller. Root probably should have been a bit more cutthroat with regard to that. And we shouldn't be gifting our wickets away so easily in the first innings. We showed fight second innings, but that's not enough when you need 468 to win a test at that point. The game was already gone prior to that innings beginning. Uh, I, I think you're right there. Um, and as you say, when you when you score 236 and 192 uh, in the match, you're not going to win too many games. Uh, but Ethan, just more on Joe Root's comments there. It's not often that you see a captain talking against his, his bowlers like this, especially someone like Joe Root. Uh, and it does sort of beg the question, you know, if that's, if he thought they were bowling wrong, why didn't he, he change the tactics? Why didn't he tell them to bowl fuller? Uh, and who is in control? Yeah, I think uh, Ricky Ponting touched on this and he, he said he almost fell off his seat. I think there's just so many questions. I think if Joe Root has brought this up, uh, to the bowlers in the game, why didn't they listen to him? Um, do they think better to bowl their own length? Uh, if he hasn't brought it up, why not? I mean, that's clearly something they should have been aware of from the start. Um, I think, yeah, his captaincy is just really under the, the microscope here. And, I mean, there's questions about strategy and now there's questions about whether he can actually take charge and, and lead the team. Um, I think he, he did mention that sometimes if you bowl a bit, shorter you get the plays and misses and that sort of gives you a false uh, I guess a false sense that you're bowling the, a dangerous length um, and, and so that's that's a fair point but I think it's only a, a small excuse I mean you've got two of the most experienced bowlers in cricket um, and surely if, if you can't tell them to bowl a bit fuller then you might not be the right person to to lead the side I think yeah following on from Pearson's point about batting England haven't hit 300 that's that's a massive problem I think they're fielding However, is, is a huge problem as well. You know, Australia made what, 473 in that first innings, over 400 in, in Brisbane. Uh, and, you know, even if England bat well, if Australia hitting 500, again, they're, they're just looking at draws at best. So if, it's a simple task, really. Just take your catches and Australia could easily score, you know, 100, 200 less. And that's what is needed to bring England wins into the picture. Indeed. Uh, Pearson, it's only fair to give you another word on this. How I, I know you're not a huge fan of Joe Root's captaincy, but is some of this criticism fair? Yeah, I mean, he's never been a great captain. I do think a lot of the time, captaincy, particularly with some of the better sides, I think Australia is actually an example, although I think Steve Smith is a better captain than Joe Root. I think, in general, the best sides make the captain look better than they are. I think the fact Joe Root is the only competent player in this England side probably weighs down upon him with his captaincy. I do think he's captained poorly, but I think that's been a long-term thing. that He's never really been a great tactician. I think that's where we actually need, as Michael Atherton was saying in last night's Sky Sports podcast, it's where we need a world-class coach to come in and help him with these things. If you want him coming in at lunch after that Stokes spell and a coach telling him, you shouldn't have done that, this is what you should be doing. I don't think Chris Silverwood is the person to do that. I agree with Ethan, Brute should be more forceful in his captaincy. But I think we need, considering he's the only player capable of captaining since no one else is particularly safe in the side, and those that are, which is essentially just Ben Stokes, has too much on his plate already to take the role, that Root will need help from some kind of backroom staff, primarily a coach. So I think if we're to correct this long term, 
it will be selecting a replacement for Chris Silverwood. I don't think this is something that will be an easy fix as much as just telling your bowlers off. I think he does do that possibly ineffectively, but I think we will need more going forward. There did definitely seem to be uh, a lack of a lack of planning or um, yeah, tactics exactly. for the test. Um, friend of the show, Jonathan Agnew, um, spoke about how uh, four years ago when they were in Adelaide, they did an almost identical thing with the bowling bowl too short. Um, so they didn't really seem to have learnt at all. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show now. We'll be back on Friday with, with much more analysis from this test and preview of the rest of the series. But I'll just quickly get your words on um, your predictions for the end result of this series, uh, whether they've changed. Ethan, I, I forget where you are at the moment, but can we say 5 nil yet? Well, I originally had 3-1 on the assumption that the first test would have uh, been a draw, but I think 5 nil looks looks the obvious uh, call now. I think Ing will have to do very well um, in the next three tests to, to win one back. And I think with the standard of their catching and their batting, I think a win is, is extremely unlikely and they could probably hope for a draw. Um, but yeah, I think 5-0 is the most likely result at this stage. And Pearson, you've always been fairly pessimistic about it. I'm more so yeah, than... I mean, I, I came into the series saying it would be 3-0 under the assumption, same as Ethan, that Brisbane would be rained out and we get a flat, turgid pitch at one of Melbourne or Sydney. I still hold out some hope that we'll get this flat, turgid pitch in one of the next two tests. But if there are results in all remaining games, it will be 5-0. I struggle to see us winning a test. Unless you go up 3-0, and we do what we did in tours 20 years back and exploited your drunken celebrations and won the final test. But I see either 4-0, 4-1 or 5-0. And I think 5-0 is definitely the favourite of those results. We certainly don't have a way back into the series. It's looking good for the Aussies at the moment, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I think, think that's about it. Thank you guys for coming on. Just a final word on the Adelaide test being at it. I know Pearson and I were a bit envious of Prabs because we both got a little bit burnt there. But um, <laughs> I thought it was... A, Great fun. We spoke at the start, Adelaide Oval, the best test arena. Yeah, by a distance. Yep, I think so. I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, thank you all for coming on. We'll be back on Friday, I think it is. Uh, hopefully, I think it'll be Matt if he gets over his his deadly illness that he has at the moment. But uh, we'll be back in, in some form or another. See ya. See ya.